Get motivated, get educated, get growing your property empire with the How To Property Podcast with your host, Ryan Luke. Hey guys, welcome to the How To Property Podcast again. Uh, the feedback from the first few episodes has been absolutely immense. Um, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you are enjoying the podcast. I've got some awesome guests coming up, um, just like today's guests, but for me, I want to dig into um, today is all about uh, mindset and working with investors. Uh, the two guests that I've got on, um, they do a lot of stuff with investors. And for me, I was too proud to, to work with investors in a strange sort of way at first. I, um, I thought that using somebody else's money uh, was kind of cheating a bit, um, but I soon realized that it was another way to grow the business even quicker. So it doesn't matter how much money you've got in property, you're always going to run out of money. And, you know, there's, you can't buy all the property in the world. And so, you know, you've just got to kind of keep trying all these different avenues. Obviously, for me, I use rent to rent as a quick acquisition strategy, which then pumps cash flow into buying my assets. And I was using my own cash and bridging loans to fund projects and my BRR projects. But it wasn't until probably the last six, seven months that I really discovered that working with investors and angel investors is no different to working with a bridging company. Uh, at first, I didn't want to use other people's money because, as I said, I felt like it was cheating. But once I got over this mindset shift, um, it's helped me scale the portfolio again and take it to that next level. So now I've kind of got three different strategies, obviously my own cash, bridging funds, and obviously investor money that I use to, to now get, in, get involved the projects buy below market value properties, and obviously add net wealth into my portfolio and into my life. So um, I'd like to welcome on George and Hannah from Dugard Property. Uh, we seem to cross paths a lot on social media, and um, you know they're pumping out some great um, content, and uh, at the end, they'll tell you exactly how you can follow them. But uh, I wanted them on the show you know, as one of the first guests because I just think we're very in tune with what we're doing, and uh, we're obviously both uh, quite present on social media and i want to dig into that with you guys as well so um so yeah so welcome to the show guys um it's an absolute pleasure to have you on and uh let's we'll dig into your story and and hopefully the um, the audience will appreciate what i see anyway from 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 my side and uh, you can tell us all about it so first and foremost how did you guys get started in property hey. yeah so hi yeah thank you for having us on so we well, we officially launched Dugar Property in June of 2019, so we've only been going for just over a year. Um, before that, I was in corporate world, um, specifically in IT, project management, account management. Um, you started off in law, didn't you? Yeah, I started off in law, and then I got into project management of refurbs, and then actually got hands-on, where I was doing a lot of general building work, but also plastering and rendering. Yeah, and I think it's just the same old why we wanted the freedom, we wanted the flexibility, we both love travelling, we met travelling, um, and George's family had, had done investing previously, it as an investor, so we start, I, th I think we literally came across a YouTube video, and it was on sourcing, and it was quite attractive, it was a good video, and we kind of got hooked on it, um, so we started doing some more reading, some more researching, started attending some free courses, but if anyone knows George, they know how risk averse he is. So he likes to, need, well, needs to go into the detail of everything. Whereas I'm more just like jump in, nothing's going to go wrong. It's fine. Just crack on. What's the worst that can happen? And we toyed with the idea of opening a sourcing business for ages until it got to the point I was like, right, I've had enough of this. We're doing it. 
Um, at that time, George lived on the Isle of Wight. I lived in Wales. Um, and then I just created the the company on Company's House, sent George a print screen and said, there's no more debating. The business is open. You move into Wales. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for a risk averse person, that was quite challenging because I was, I was literally just plastering away on the Isle of Wight. I knew I wanted something else. I wanted, you know, as Hannah said, we had our why. But yeah, Hannah just sent me a screenshot saying, right, it's happening now get on your train to Wales because it was it was almost like a personal decision as well because Hannah and I were in a relationship it was long distance so um she you know she went right come on you're moving in let's go so that was pretty much it to be honest she won the battle yeah (laughs) (laughs) good stuff all right so where um so at the beginning um what what were your major struggles what what was the main thing that you struggled with Oh, you could probably write a load of lists when it comes to Yeah, okay. So um, rejections was a huge one to begin with. Um, I mean, to begin with, we didn't track our deals, which we definitely 100% recommend you do mm. and keep them all in one place. But I think to be, to begin with, we must have put in, a, we must have gone on about 40 viewings to put in about 20 to 30 offers to then only get one accepted, which you know, at the beginning, when you're starting, all those no's start to like really wear away at you. And it was, it was, it was hard work, wasn't it? So, um, you know, we've had a mindset shift now and we, we, I say this a lot on podcasts and I say this a lot on social media as well, is that you, you know, you've got to, uh, you've got to celebrate those no's. You've got to go for no, because every single no is one step closer to a yes. And at the end of the day, property and business generally is just a numbers game. And you've just got to be consistent and just not fear those rejections. And that's sort of what, mindset we've changed now isn't it but that was a huge struggle for us at the beginning well i think it's all the one thing that people miss off you see these online training videos or you go to the courses and you you they don't you just think you're going to put in offers and get these deals they don't really give you the what's going to be what's going to be hard that comes with it so yeah that was a huge thing for us and i think definitely the beginning we were we were motivated idiots, if you like, because we wanted to do everything. Um, we wanted to cover the whole of the UK sourcing. We wanted to cover every strategy. We wanted to work with every investor who shows an interest in the business. And that's just not the way to do things. I mean, now we have specific areas, we have specific strategies. We know what kind of investors we want to work with. So it's much more niche and then you can kind of become an expert in your area. So I think that was a big learning curve. And not having defined roles, I think as a couple, you know where each other are like normally, but to work with your partner, I think that brings its own challenges. Yeah. <laughs> and I think because we were trying to do everything and there was no set plan, it was just a bit of chaos, wasn't there? We, were, we weren't being the most effective. So trying to find our feet was a massive challenge to begin with. I think another one as well was um, it's trying to convince like when you're when you know when you're young in the business trying to convince an investor to invest in a deal when you haven't done one before that was that was quite challenging for us but that was that was another another mindset shift that we needed in thinking that you know a lot of people just you know they do their own due diligence all they're really yeah. interested in is the figures yeah and the figures stack and they're going with someone who is driven honest and transparent that's all you need for, for yeah, a start yeah. i think i say i say all the time like if you find a good deal you'll find the money as long as you can portray that trust and they know they've got the security, the security is the charge on the property. So there isn't too much that can go wrong for them, you know, um, because you're sourcing below market value deals. So worst case is you start half the refurb or you kind of get the money out and ultimately they've got the charge on the property. So, um, yeah, but find, find a good deal and find the money. I think it's funny how I had a bit of a deal sourcing 
start as such on a mindset, but I just don't like giving money away. And <laughs> I, um, you know, I was looking at these deals and thinking, well, yeah, I could get a quick couple of grand, but I can create like 20 grand's worth of equity and five, six grand a year cash flow. So it just didn't stack up for me. Uh, and I think my brother actually, when he first came into my company, he, I, I had him sort of, I thought I'll get a deal source and arm set up with him. So I said, you go and deal source and, and it just, the, the investors just never really, I think it's hard finding investors, which will come on to with you guys. Cause I know you do it so well, but, um, some of the, a lot of the investors in these networks put their hands up and say they want to look at the deals, but then never, and never follow through with it. Um, and he got so fed up cause he found some good deals. I was like, well, just give me them and I'll fund them. And, and, and then we just scrapped that idea and, and, you know, and, and we are where we are now, but, um, I'm not saying deal sourcing is not a bad thing because I know there are some good deal sources out there, but I think it's a much harder game than, than a lot of people portray. 100%. Um, and I always say as one of the hardest things probably being a deal sourcer, when it's your own property, when it's your own investment, you understand the refurbs can go over. You understand that they can take longer. There's going to be problems, but you'll have a phone call with your project manager or your builder and it's your money to control. So you'll acknowledge it, you'll find the solution, you'll move on. Mm-hmm. when you're working with investors and sourcing for them having to relay that message and we're we're definitely about being transparent and keeping them up to date at all times but sometimes having to relay those messages and explain that a refurb is going over especially for investors who are brand new to investing mm-hmm. and that they see everything through rose-tinted glasses having those conversations and just they're the hardest thing people really yeah. underestimate how hard it is trying to manage a, pro- a project for someone else yeah, because a lot of a lot of people think that you know you get this refurb quote and that's it. Where it's not. There's so many things that can go wrong, and we, you know we've learned to explain this right from the beginning. You know there is things that can go mm-hmm. wrong. You can you know peel off the wallpaper and find a crack that needs stitching. You can pull up the you know the floor and find that you know there's concrete cancer in the concrete. There's so many different things that yeah. can be you can find. So yeah, it, it, but it is it is always quite a difficult conversation to have with an investor to tell them that they're going over you know going over budget and their figures weren't mm. aren't originally what they thought they were so so yeah it is it is difficult and obviously as a as a sorter you are taking every single hit that that investor has mm. yourself so you're constantly getting knocked back and you really do have to have a tough skin to be sorted because you literally are you know there's so many different things that come up in the conveyancing not and the refurb and there's just so many different things that come up so so yeah it's all about having a tough skin and just knowing that you're going to get you know a lot of um hardship for it basically <laughs> yeah. i think with the sourcing as well it's you know it it's not passive you know at the end of the day you have to go out there every week and find more and more deals you know and you've got and once your deals are done and you've collected your fee there's no recurring income coming in for that so you know for me it was all about you know getting into property so you can create that freedom and 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 you know the earn money while you sleep you know yeah, yeah. and that's that's got to be the mentality don't get me wrong you know, service accommodation is far from passive, you know, and even HMOs and you know, even the single lets, to be fair, but it's a lot less passive than a nine or five job or, or, yeah. or whatever. So, so when did, um, so did you guys just, that was it, quit jobs and then start or was there a gradual transition or? No, I think, so George obviously was full time from the beginning. You would, your plastering job would just come to an end and you, it, it was kind of, the reason that I kind of just opened the business was, well, you're either going to start a new job on the island and that's going to be it, or you move to Wales, as we've always discussed. We try the business. It works amazing. 
we give it our all or it doesn't and you just find another job but you're in Wales mm. um for me we kept my my job um I've got a good salary so for a number of reasons one for stability one obviously with rent to rents reference checks makes it so much easier because the business was was brand new mortgage applications they just became it made our life a lot easier and I think the one thing that we always preach to people who were starting in property a lot of them will go to a course and then just quit their job because they think they could be full-time and it's like you it's not that easy yeah. you need to make sure you've got some funds behind you or at least a bit of a safety net that's going to cover your costs and your living going forward so yeah you were full-time from the beginning yeah. but i'm not quite there yet okay okay so what is um what is your main strategy so our main strategy is in it's buy refurbish refinance is definitely our main strategy so i'd say within the buy refurbish refinance it's sourcing and also you know the building of our own portfolio but the sourcing for buy refurbish refinance is what we what we do most okay and do you still keep a bit of the deal as such or is it just purely sourcing and handed off so we do the sourcing we'll get a fee for the project management but then at the moment we're handing off Okay. Um, we're currently planning and shaping the next year for the business. Um, where hopefully that's going to change. Yeah. Okay. okay. And you mentioned rent to rent there. Do you do you have a bit of rent to rent on the go? Yeah, we've got two rent to rents, um, but we don't do anything with them. Do we? We've got a management team. All we did was kind of prep the costs to begin with to furnish it, and yeah. then raise an invoice each month. So our, <laughs> our rent to rents, we we first started doing rent to rents to to have a bit of cash flow. But it's not our, our full-time strategy. We want asset building. So we've got a, a six-bed house, which we can we flipped over to the council, and they in it, they're in it full-time now, bringing us a very healthy profit. Um, so there's no reason we've just we're just about to extend another six to twelve six or twelve months. We're trying to get the twelve months for them in there, and they're paying, yeah, no, it's really good that one. But our other SA is a seven-bedroom, um, and that one is is performing very well at the moment, actually. Um, so yeah, that's our, that's our rent to rent. We, we've moved away from rent to rent now, as I said, it was just a, an initial cash flow thing. Um, and now have we more consistent cash flow. have more consistent yeah. cash flow and now, yeah, we're focusing very heavily on the, the asset building, but we're, um, we are still sourcing the rent to rent, uh, through the, through the company. Okay. Okay. So the main, um, so you mentioned that you're focusing now on asset building mm-hmm. for yourselves as opposed to investors. So we're still doing sourcing. A big thing for us at the moment is, and you kind of touched upon it, sourcing isn't passive in the slightest. And as you've mentioned, we're taking a small fee and someone else is then getting to be able to build their wealth and their cash flow. So one of the reasons we got into sourcing to begin with was to build that pot of funds for us to build our portfolio. And it's that same old story, isn't it? A, a car, Somebody who owns a car garage drives the rubbish car, hairdressers have rubbish here it's been like us we've done the sourcing without then actually focusing on our asset building ourselves so we're in the process of hiring at the moment to systemize the sourcing business because of we've worked so hard at that the last year instead of just walking away from it now and then focusing on us it would be such a shame to let that go so we're bringing on employees now who can then run that for us and they can put up with all the headaches yeah yeah we we almost want what we almost want is so at the moment we've just hired a va and she's actually started today yeah um we've got job adverts out and we've had a lot of applications for a full-time person to be on the road with us Mm -hmm. um and we're looking to employ another one very soon as well so 
um, yeah, we, we, we almost want this sourcing business to, you know, we've built this reputation. It's there now. We want it to sort of almost run like a machine um, and generate these deals and it's on tap and these deals are coming. And, you know, the ones, if we fancy investing in a deal, we can take one from the machine. That's, yeah. that's the way we yeah. look at it. Yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah, it's, um, you know, we've got this business now and it'd be stupid to let it go. And we also love, um, you know, helping other investors build their portfolios as well. It is actually quite rewarding. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So obviously you're both very active on social media, um, especially LinkedIn and uh, Instagram. What's, what's the reason behind A, social media and also those two channels? Um, I would say LinkedIn is really good because there's so many different things to LinkedIn. The first one is you can search exactly what you're looking for. So angel investor, I want to connect with an angel investor and connect with an angel investor. Um, it's a, you can organically reach a lot of people on LinkedIn. So I really like that. Um, and there's a lot of people on there that are actually investors. So that's why I, I do a lot on LinkedIn. In regards to Instagram, um, it's very good for content creation. And there's actually a lot of people watching stories on there. And the good thing about stories is you can get your face on the camera all day and document exactly what you're doing. So mm-hmm. for doing that, you're pretty much building trust with that investor every day. And they feel like they're following you around your life. So they understand what you're doing. So that's, that's really like we've had so many people that have been watching us on Instagram. Three months later, they've gone to us oh, I've been following you for three months. I pretty much feel like I know you. And it's like an event we went to at the 5am club thing on Saturday. There was people there and they, they just came up to us and were like, oh, hi, George and Hannah. And we were like, hello. And it was like, they, they felt like they knew us. Do you know what I mean? So that's how powerful social media can be. And on top of that, like think, think about it. If you go to a networking event, you're going to probably, if you're lucky, get around 20 people in that room and network with them and get your message across. Whereas on social media, one of our Instagram posts now reaches 2,500 people. Mm-hmm. So look how powerful that is. And you can post every single day. You can't go to a networking event every single day. Yeah. So that's how powerful we think social media is. And it's, you know, it's got 80% of our investors. So mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've been to two networking events in my whole career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually, um, my network is Facebook, Instagram, yeah. social media. I think... Um, I think you waste half an hour traveling backwards and forwards and stuff. I mean, I'm not saying that they're not good things to go to, but my personal preference is I think you can get a lot more out of a social space these days from your laptop, from your phone, without wasting that that time to have to, have to travel to a network and do. Um, and most of them are pretty rubbish anyway, let's be honest about it. <laughs> you end up talking to your mates, don't you? Or you're like, you know, yeah. between the three or four years. And, but uh, everyone like can have your number i'll give you a ring and you'll never ring you but um (laughs) so what would you recommend to anyone that wants to get social with their property business i would say um post daily uh that's definitely one um post every four hours on your story just keep people up to date um get yourself on facebook instagram and linkedin and they all have their different purposes I've already spoke about LinkedIn and Instagram, but Facebook's very good for building a community. Um, yeah, I'm, I'd also say get your face on the camera as much as you possibly can because people buy from people. They don't buy from a, a logo. So, um, you know, I, I would get yourself on the camera, talk about your experiences, what you've learned today, and just help people and add value because, you know, don't be too sexy because if you, you know, if you add value every single day and you add value to someone's life, you'll just automatically get sales anyway. That's yeah. the way I get it. Yeah, 100%. I say it all the time. It's like the groups that I've got on Facebook, people just, just pitch all the time. Just pitch. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, and like, can I post this on your group? And I'm like, no. But you can like, 
if you want to add value to the group and you know, like if you like tax experts, they just want to pitch that product. So why don't you tell people like, just do a little video on how they can, you know, be more tax efficient or whatever, you know? And, and as you say, the more value you give for free, the, the, the money follows you naturally, you know? Um, yeah. So many people get that so wrong with the marketing of their businesses. Um, but I think personally, property businesses don't give enough credit to marketing. They kind of just bypass it all together and think that, they just have to go to an estate agent to get a deal or, you know, so they don't do marketing half as much as they should. And I think they leave a lot of money on the table by not doing it. Um, so, you know, it's great that you guys are in tune with that. And um, so obviously you're both quite hands on with managing the projects. I see the videos all the time and now the refurbs um, with the hard hats on. What, <laughs> um, what's the biggest mistake that you have made so far? Uh, to be honest and this is being completely honest we've only really had one mistake um but it was a bit of a big one um we can it it actually strengthened our relationship with the investor but so we sourced a property uh, deal we'd been into the property actually turnkey investment this one was uh, it's a bespoke investor we've worked with for a while and he's risk averse so turnkey investment um, we've gone and viewed it a couple of times, got an offer accepted. We then had two build teams go into the property uh, just to quote some works. The investor had come down with his dad, the letting agent had been in. So, so many people had passed through this property. This We couldn't believe this, could we? All went through, pushed the sale through to completion. George went to collect the keys um, on the day of completion. Can I just say there was a lot of furniture in there when we viewed it as oh, well? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> George went and collected the keys on completion and went and just did, went to do an Instagram story of the property and then phoned me like a nervous wreck, wouldn't you? Rising damp throughout the whole of the downstairs, clear as day, wave lines across the downstairs. Yeah. So that, that we missed that. Yeah, and- yeah, the only reason it was a mistake, a real mistake, was because, you know, obviously we've got the builders in, everyone had been through there and everything. So it wasn't just us that missed it. No, it was no. everyone else, but... Um, what what the sort of mistake there was and what we've learned from this is that um, he asked us, should I get a home buyer survey? And we said to him, this property is pretty much turnkey. Um, you know, we wouldn't personally, but don't take our word for mm. it. But he did take our word for it and he didn't get the survey. Um, so what we've learned from that now is that every single investor now, we will say to them, we recommend you get a survey yeah. um, because, you know, at the end of the day, even though our terms and conditions do, do state that we're not surveyors, we're not builders um, and we shouldn't be liable for this. We still did cover that cost just because we wanted to maintain that relationship with him. Yeah. To uh, be fair, he got a better deal because of when we phoned him to say, look, this has happened. We just said we're covering it. He didn't request that we cover it. He didn't. He probably wouldn't have because he's he. You would have just been like, okay, we've all been in there. This it's not on you, yeah. but just out of kind of just our reputation, our respect for him, that we felt liable. So we just got our builder down. We covered the cost of yeah the plastering, the damp injections. That got all fixed. So he just got a lovely new damp course for free. Yeah, it was lucky. It was lucky our builder gave us a good cost as well. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. so much that can go wrong with things. I mean, um, it's amazing you spend. Like I've just bought a new house and we viewed it for 15 minutes, spent a hell of a lot of money on it. Mm, and like, yeah. and I would actually say that we look around investment properties a hell of a lot more in depth than, than we do, you know, for, for like my own home purchase, but um, it's still not enough time really, you know? And as you say, 
people hide things with furniture, wallpapers. You know, there's so many little tricks that people do to cover things up. And, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to go around every property and switch every light on and make sure that, you know. And, and so yeah. when you dig into these things, they can open, you know, a can of worms. And you've got to be prepared for that. And if you're doing your, if you're making offers based on what you think are exact costs, I think you're always going to come a cropper and you're always going to end up uh, losing money. Well, not, maybe not losing money, but you're definitely going to not pull as much money back out of the deal or um you know you're not going to make as, as much profit in the long term but um but yeah it, it is crazy the way the property game works the amount of money that you spend and you get like a snapshot to go and look at these properties and yeah. the estate agents like almost like shooing you out the door because you've spent too long in the property they probably knew about it they probably put the furniture in the right place <laughs> <laughs> they do it so many times you're like 10 minutes and you can see them just like getting frustrated i've got to go to my next meeting I've got <laughs> yeah. yeah i know and so many times as well, like, the, like for example, in this place as well, the furniture, like, there was, like, a cabinet with loads of things, and I couldn't stop pulling out the cabinet. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, um, it's, I was interviewing the other day, and we couldn't actually find the circuit board. We couldn't find the main switch. I looked in the whole property. I don't know where it was. Lighter work and everything, but no one could find it. <laughs> I find that, because obviously sometimes you walk straight into the property, and it's up on the right, isn't it? But in some houses, they put them in some weird places. It, it, we could not. There was two of us. We could not find it. <laughs> God knows where it is. But Did you anyway, look everywhere, every cupboard, <laughs> everywhere. None of us could find it. Uh, but uh, anyway, I didn't get that one either. Everyone's just paying like stupid money at the minute for prices. I don't know how you guys are finding it, but yeah, some of the like there's going to be some auctions where some have started going live now, and you just know the prices they're going to go for crazy. Some of the we're going and viewing some properties and we're already being told they've had way over asking price and you just look at the figures and I don't understand how people are calculating these figures if they don't care how much they leave in the deal. There's just some really bizarre purchases going on at the moment. It like? seems to be, a, it seems to be throughout the UK though. It's not just yeah. in certain areas, you know, it's, it's, it's every single city. So whether it's two, three, four hundred grand houses or whether it's 50, 60, 40 grand, you know, it seems to be the same pattern that everyone's just, you know putting loads of money in but at the same time and i keep saying this to uh, not only you know my staff who are sourcing but also the mentees but i think you just got to stick to your process because always have your follow-up process always be tracking them because a lot of these deals are not going to complete you know and the the longer the time goes on and i think post furlough there's going to be a bit of a switch in our favor if you're cash ready and you're ready to go and um, you know, a lot of these deals, I think, will come back on the market. Um, yeah. I also don't see how valuers are down value and refinance deals, yet they're allowing overpriced. Because surely a Rick's value has to value it on the property, not who's buying it. But yeah. that doesn't seem to be uh, yeah. happening at the minute, uh, which I think uh, probably goes against a bit the code of um, the surveyors. But hey ho, we live in the world we live in. Um, so. What's the, I mean, you touched base on it early on. Uh, what's, where do you want to take the business in the next 12 months? So, um, I would say, first of all, um, we want to fully systemize the sourcing business, yeah. as, as we've mentioned. So, so it's running, running like a machine. Um, we want to get one more rent to rent. And the reason being is because uh, we have loads of furniture stuck in a unit at the moment, <laughs> which we're having to pay for every month. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so that needs to be put into a because uh, we we took it out because the council moved in and they only wanted beds. Right. So now we need to put that into another unit which we're uh, looking for now. Um, on 
so scale our own portfolio but we're being quite wary at the moment due to what's you know what's going on um and obviously we're not going to settle for anything you know obviously things are going above asking price but we're not settling we're still sticking to our guns from what our figures are um and on top of that we've got a development deal that's probably going to take up a lot of our time in london um in croydon that we are just starting the process in now so in the next 12 months a lot of our energy is going to be going into systemizing this sourcing business and the development so i'd say that i'd say they are probably our, our biggest focus for this year cool and is the development is that in conjunction with a jv partner or how, how are you how are you working that one We'll probably try and utilise as much development finance as possible. Um, The initial plan before we started looking at the development finances, we've convinced my dad to give us his pension in a SAS. So (laughs) between him and mine, we've got a SAS. We're just waiting to get, well, we've been waiting for ages. They seem to have had, I think the HMRC took their pension team down to one person during COVID. So we're just waiting for that to all be the administrators sorting in now to get approved and then we can start utilising that. But yeah, we're now looking at development finance because if we can use development finance, that we can use the SAS to do some other stuff, yeah. and then we can have more going on at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good you touch base on that because you know a lot of the listeners probably don't understand that you can do quirky things like that to to release investments. Um, you know, and uh, the the bank, the mum and dad can can often help. So uh, so okay, awesome. Um, all right, well as always at the end of the show, I get you guys to ask me a couple of questions. Um, so fire away, put me on the block. One thing I did want to ask you, and I ask a lot of people this, is when you're building your buy, refurbish, refinance portfolio, how much are you happy to leave in the deal? And the reason I say this is because I've heard from a lot of people recently that they're happy to leave a little bit more in the deal to scale quicker because then they've got other sources of income coming in that they can cover that with. So say, for example, you, you said to, on one of my posts the other day, you know, 1,000, you've gone over a budget on your refurb, but at the end of the day, you've got one month from an essay that can cover that. But it's the same yeah. scenario and what I'm saying here, that if you leave an extra grand in the deal or two grand in the deal, you can cover that with a couple of essays. So what's your opinion on, yeah, pretty much leaving a bit more in to scale quicker? Yeah, I think... Um... I have my parameters. I don't really like to leave much more than six or seven grand in a deal if I can. Um, but I think also you, you kinda, your mindset changes slightly as you go on. So when you're at your first few and money is really important and you want to get it all back out so you can go again, um, then you, you really want to try and find that perfect deal and get it all out because that will slow you down if you don't get it out. Uh, whereas as you build and cash flow is coming in quite healthily and you know there's been a few moments where you probably got too much money in the bank and really it should be invested, then you might take a bit more of it. Okay, well, it's better in a property and maybe only getting, leaving eight grand in or nine grand in than it is sat in the bank doing nothing. So I think it probably depends on the stage you're at with your sort of BRR portfolio as to, um, you know, where you're going. And also I analyze everything on a buy to let strategy. So even if it's going to be on, you know, a HMO or a service accommodation, I always analyze it as a bite let because I mean, I, I think HMOs and SAs are going to be around in our lifetimes for sure, but single less definitely will be for, for years, you know, centuries. So, um, and I think that's only going to get more and more popular. So if you're always analyzing that strategy, then you're always going to be okay. But say if I'm going to leave 10 grand in on the spreadsheet, but I know I'm going to run it on SA and maybe that'll half, then again, that's just another way to get in. It's funny. I was just saying to, um, I think it's my brother the other day, actually, that I'm, because we kind of seem to get many of these BMV deals, 
as we once were. Maybe we should focus on the super end stuff and, um, and therefore the money will come out quicker so we can pay a bit more for it, um, you know, and, and the money will come out a bit quicker. So I think it's just, I think every business is probably a bit different and it depends. Mm-hmm. I think it depends how much cash you've got in your bank account, basically, and, and where you're at, how, what you've got in your pipeline. And, um, you know, I know I've got about six or seven refinances about to come out and I've got nothing bought, you know, we've, we've, I've completed on my last acquisition because the, the pipeline's just, it's empty. It's because, yeah. you yeah. know, the, I think everyone who operates the sort of BMV, BRR strategy is struggling at the minute. Um, but I'm hoping that that cash is going to be in the bank by October. And I, I do fancy November, December, January, a good time and probably get it all spent again and, and, and get a load That's of projects. We're looking towards at the moment. We've got a lot of investors who we're currently in talks with. They were keen to work with us and do private investment. And we're just kind of negotiating now on what's a win-win for the both of us in the hopes that in the next month, then we'll all have that ironed out, heads of terms agreed. So when the market starts to shift back to a buyer's market, we can clean up and have a good Christmas. Yeah. Um, no, on all the below market stuff that we've mentioned throughout this call in terms of everyone struggling with getting those good deals at the moment at a good price, are you spending a lot of time on direct vendor strategies and what would you say are the best ones that worked for you? Um, yeah, so my Facebook marketing, I, I kind of go in phases with it. I think as when we need deals, I'll, I'll turn it on. And um, if the pipeline is busy, I'll probably turn it off. I think everyone's probably a bit like that. I feel a bit like there's no point. Obviously, I don't source deals as such, but um, so I don't want to just have leads that we can't then fund. At the minute, I feel like there's no point turning it on because, you know, I've been looking at houses that are like 45, 50 grand comparables and they've got them advertised for like 75, 79 grand. And you're just like, who has told you to put that price on that house? <laughs> you know? But like every, every single house in the last 20 years is sold for no more than 50 grand and you're asking for 20 grand more. And I think there are just a lot of chances out there at the minute just thinking, I'm just, it's obviously hot, I'll just put my house on. But I am starting to see a lot more reduced tags, you know, and emails come through with reduced prices where, they're obviously starting to knock them down a bit. And um, I think that'll continue. But the, the direct-to-vendor stuff, it just, every day the marketing team, I ask them to just, you know, again, social media, just constantly pushing stuff out all the time. And, um, you know, it's, it, it, it just, some days you get nothing, some weeks you get nothing, and then all of a sudden you get two or three leads, you know. So just, just presence all the time, just getting stuff out there, getting attention on your business, and I always say, you know, money follows attention. So, um, you know, and you just got to be, even your Facebook ads, you can try one thing one week and it's great. And then it dies off and the frequency lifts and you're hitting the same people and, and it dies off, you know. So you've got to be constantly testing stuff, videos, posts, pictures, you know, and you just got to constantly be testing the market and that's, that's the main thing. And do you recommend doing Facebook ads yourself? Because we can't really pay someone to do it. And we're always debating, do we do that ourselves or continue to pay someone? I I do, but I spent 10 grand on a marketing mentorship quite a few years ago. So I learned everything I needed to learn about Facebook, Facebook pixels, you know, absolutely everything to to do with sort of marketing. So um, I feel like I'm quite... In, in tune with that and now I speak to obviously um, the girls in the office who run my marketing for me and sort of coach them on on how to improve 
and we're just constantly testing stuff. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say it's a bad thing to outsource it again if you've got the time to do it. Um, I like to get in there and see what's working, um, but I obviously have other people that actually pull the trigger and set the ads up and, and post the content and, and all that sort of stuff. So I think just be careful with marketing agencies. I have used quite a few in the past who say they'll do a great thing and, and it just never really comes to light and then they take their fee and then they blame everyone else but themselves for the lack of results. So I think you can quite easily teach yourself how to do it. Um, you just got to, again, just know that you're on the right, like ending the right education, taking in the right knowledge from the right people. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Cool. All right, guys. Absolutely awesome to have you on. As always, um, I like to connect um, the world. So how can people reach out to yourselves? Uh, it's pre- so pretty much do got property on everything, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, do got property on Instagram, do got property on Facebook. And then uh, on LinkedIn, just George Dugard, Facebook, George Dugard, Hannah Robson, Facebook, Hannah Robson, LinkedIn. Very good. All right. Thanks very much for your time, guys. Absolute pleasure. I'm sure the listeners will love it as well. Um, Can't thank you enough. Cheers. Thank Thank you. Thank you very much.